Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, church, depending on when you watch this video. Uh, but before we get started into the sermon, let me pray for our time together. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are living in a time where it's unusual, uh, that we're not able to gather with our church body. And yet we thank you for the blessing of technology, that through it, that we're able to hear a message uh, from the Word of God preached to us. We recognize that the Word ought to be preached in season or out of season, and we ask that as it's preached at this time, that your Spirit would go forth and move our spirits to obey its truths so that we might be able to be more like you, uh, whether it be at home or even as we interact with people uh, throughout our weeks virtually. So we ask that your Spirit would bless this time, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ben Kingsley, a very well-known actor and also an Academy Award-winning actor, known for films like Gandhi and also Schindler's List, still remembers the disapproval of his parents. He remembers their words, and he remembers how hurtful they were. Now, some of you may not know Gandhi from those films, or you may not know Ben Kingsley from the film Gandhi or even Schindler's List. You probably would know him better in his role in Iron Man 3 as the villain in that particular film. But when he started his acting career, as I said before, his parents were not really well pleased the fact that he went into acting. In fact, his mom once commented to him saying that, when are you gonna give up this acting lark? Thinking that this was just a phase, a season, a time. And those words hurt. Ben Kingsley still remembers those hurtful words, even though he's now a 76-year-old man. Words hurt more than we realize. They hurt more than we think. We hear the saying, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt me. But is it really true? We may have bruises that heal. We have bones that mend. But there are certain words that wound us in our hearts and to our souls, that continue to fester, that continue to soar, that continue to cause pain. We can remember words that are painful being spoken to us. Words, you are ugly. You're good for nothing. You're such a disappointment. Why can't you be like your brother or your sister or your cousin? Why can't you ever amount to anything? You'll never be good for anything. We remember not only the words, but we remember the face. Remember the time, remember the place, remember the tone, remember the gestures. And those memories of those hurtful words continue to cause us pain. Words hurt more than we think. And not only do we remember people who are speaking those words, but I wonder if we think about how we too are sometimes the people who speak those painful words as well that we're the ones who speak these verbal jabs that put people down? Do we realize that it's those poison-tipped words that come out of our mouths that cause pain? And when people remember painful words, they remember our face, our tone, 
our gesture, the words we speak. And we too sometimes speak hurtful words. And especially in this time and this context, we're in such close quarters, I'm sure there are many opportunities for us to engage in this type of verbal sparring, in this type of verbal conflict, verbal tension. We sense this tension between spouses. We sense the tension between siblings. We sense the tension between parent and child. And for some of you who may not be living at home with your parents or your family members, this verbal sparring may not happen in person, but it can happen through text or through video chats, that there are opportunities for hurtful words to be exchanged that lead to conflict, that lead to tension. And in those heated moments, we think more about hurtful words to be spoken than words to really ease that tension. So we really have to ask ourselves, what does God want us to do when we prepare to speak? How does God want us to use our words? How should we speak in a way that honors God? How does God want us to prepare before we speak? To answer this question, we'll be turning to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, for those of you who attend our church, you know that we're in a series in the book of Proverbs titled Wisdom for Life. And so it's no surprise that we're turning to this particular book in the Bible that has insightful things to say about how God would desire us to act within social settings. So you haven't turned there already, turn with me please to Proverbs chapter 10. In this text, we'll be exploring three questions. What does God want us to do? And what is the reason for God's instruction? And what is the purpose and the intent for God's instruction? What does God want us to do? What is the reason and what is the intent? So let's ask that first question. What does God want us to do? He wants us to think before speaking, to really consider our words before we utter them, before we speak them forth, that we ought to ponder what we will say before we speak them, that God wants us to think before speaking. Now, in this particular proverb, in Proverbs chapter 10, Solomon teaches us that more words means more trouble, and less words means less trouble, meaning that the more that you speak, the more likely or more potentially you might get into trouble, and the less words you speak, the less likely you may be getting into trouble. More words, more trouble, less words, less trouble. Now, we can imagine situations where speaking a lot oftentimes will get you into trouble. I mean, we can imagine those circumstances and situations. We think about the parent who speaks to their adult children, especially in light of this virus, don't go out to the supermarket, don't go out of your house. Make sure you bring masks wherever you go and make sure you wear your gloves. And this well-intended instruction, said over and over again, then becomes nagging. And then the child tends to tune them out. It can also happen 
in the reverse. The reverse could also happen as well, where the child may be talking to the at-risk parent saying, don't go out, don't go to the grocery store, because you may be at risk of catching the virus. And then the child begins to nag, and then it leads to conflict. More words means more trouble. It could be the parent who catches the child who's supposed to be reading watching television. And the parent asks the child, have you been watching television when you're supposed to be reading? And the child has a choice to make. Do I tell the truth and get into trouble? Or do I lie and get into trouble? And if the child decides to lie, he has to be able to come up with a story in his mind to justify that he was not watching television. And instead of just getting punished for watching television, he'll get punished for both watching television and also lying as well. More words means more trouble. Now, why is it that we use so many words? I mean, Solomon writes here in this proverb, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says this. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That when somebody speaks a lot, when they speak with many words, there are transgressions, that there is sin. And Solomon recognizes this truth, that speaking more oftentimes reveals an ignorance of our own sinfulness. That to use a lot of words reveals that we really don't know what's going inside of us. Well, what do I mean by that? A lot of times we speak a lot of words because we believe that our words have power to change a circumstance or situation. For the parent trying to tell their adult children to take these safety measures, the parent believes that their words are able to convince their child to wear that mask, to wear those gloves, to avoid going out. And the more they say it, the louder they say it, with the more intensity they say it, they can get their children to do what they want. And the reverse is also true as well, that the child speaking to the at-risk parent by speaking often, more loudly, more intensely, could get their parents to do what they want. And for the child, he believes that if I'm able to come up with a story that's able to describe to my parents why I was not watching television, I can get myself out of trouble. That there is an arrogance, there is a pride within us believing that if we speak more words, we're able to change a circumstance, we're able to change a person's mind, we're able to change a situation. We fail to realize that our words have less power than we think. Because only God's words actually has power to do things that our words can't. If you think about it, when God says, let there be light, there's light in darkness. When God says, let the seas be parted from the land, dry land appears. But when we say, let there be light, we have to get a family member to go and hit the light switch before the lights come on. When we say, let there be food, we have to go to the refrigerator and heat up lunch or heat up dinner or maybe give a call to our favorite restaurant to place an order, or even to use DoorDash to get food. Our words do not have the same power that God's word 
does. Because when God speaks, it happens. But when we speak, we fail to realize that it doesn't really have as much power as we think. And speaking less then, when we speak with less words, it reveals an understanding of our sinfulness. It reveals an understanding that we desire to use our words to control, to manipulate, to change. And our words can't do that. That's why Solomon says here in verse 19, whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And what and who is this prudent person? A prudent person has insight to recognize in a circumstance, in a situation, all the possible communication strategies and chooses the best one. He's able to form and shape his words in a way that demonstrates insight, that demonstrates understanding into this particular context. He's like a master chess player, able to see all the possibilities and chooses the best strategy to speak forth his words. And oftentimes when we speak less, it requires us actually to listen to other people. It requires us to understand the circumstance as well as the situation in which we're in so that we're able to speak more appropriate words. And that sometimes speaking less will require us to ask questions to better understand where the other person is coming from so that our words may be carefully chosen. Now, Jesus also says this, that words oftentimes reveals the state of our hearts. He says this in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says these words, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil that even Jesus recognized and teaches us that our words ultimately demonstrate or show and reveal our heart attitudes. It reveals the state of our hearts. And so his words, Jesus' words, parallel Solomon's understanding of how words are used, that words reveal our hearts. So then what should we do when we prepare to speak? we need to be able to think about whether or not we should speak or not. Are we trying to use our words to change a person, even though we're no, we know that their opinion is already made and they're unchanging? Are we going to speak because we believe we can change this circumstance? Are we gonna speak because we want other people to think that we're knowledgeable and understanding? Do we wanna speak so that we'd be able to control a conversation? And if so, then maybe we should restrain our lips and not speak at all. But if our words are intended to help, if our words are intended to encourage, if our words are crafted to build up, then maybe we should speak. But this requires us to think before speaking, to think before speaking. So what is the reason for this instruction? Why does God instruct his people to think before speaking? Think before speaking because your words matter to God. 
God values the words that come out of your mouth. They have worth, they have weight, they have value, and they matter to God. Think before speaking because your words ultimately matter to God. Now Solomon teaches that from a good heart comes priceless words, and from an evil heart comes worthless words. That from a good heart there are words that come forth that have value, and the words from an evil heart have little value. The words that come from a good heart are like precious stones, but the words from a fool, an evil heart, come words that are worth less than even pennies. Now Solomon here, in this particular verse, in verse 20, which I'll read to us, says this, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Now, in this particular verse, Solomon describes the words of a righteous person as priceless. In fact, he describes them as choice silver. Well, what does this mean? In other translations, choice silver is rendered pure silver or best silver. That choice silver is silver where the impurities have been burned out so that there is a high percentage of silver. So this type of silver is valuable at any type of reputable market. And from whose mouth do these precious words come from? They come from a righteous person. It says in verse 20, the tongue of the righteous. Now, who is this righteous person? Now, a righteous person tends to do good according to some kind of moral standard. But for those in the Old Testament, that moral standard is set by the law, the Old Testament law, that a righteous person is shaped by the Old Testament law so that his heart and his affections are towards God, so the words that come out have value. And for those of us who are Christians, we are under this new covenant where this, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God through Jesus, also affects our words as well said that the words that come out are valuable. Now, Solomon also describes the heart of a wicked person, and that from the heart of a wicked person, his words are worthless. It says here, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Now, who are these wicked people? Wicked people refer to people who always think that they're right. That they don't need any type of correction because they always know what to say and they believe that God's word is for those little people. And I know what to say, I know what to do because I'm always right. And wicked people then are willing to twist God's word oftentimes for their own benefit. The wicked person thinks to themselves, I'm able to stream media, to stream films that may be on wide release in a theater because, heck, you know, Netflix, Disney, these film companies, they already make millions of dollars anyway. And the money that I would use to go watch this movie in a theater, I'll just give to charity because it's unjust for these film companies to charge us money to watch their content. That a wicked person twist what is true for their own benefit. And why is that important to know? 
is because a person's character oftentimes determines whether or not they'll be heard. That the way a person conducts themselves will determine whether or not someone will actually listen to them. I mean, you're not going to get advice from a person who's had multiple marriages, multiple divorces. You're not going to ask for financial advice from someone who's struggling with debt. You're not going to ask someone how to do well in a class, especially if the other person is struggling. That a person's conduct, a person's character, determines whether or not you'll listen to them. And oftentimes, a wicked person's character causes us to tune them out because their words have little value. It's do as I say, not do as I do. And as a result, we tune them out anyway. And especially in light of this virus situation where you have people who are hoarding hand sanitizer, Clorox wipes, and even masks, we think of it as a very wicked thing because they are using the situation for their own advantage, for their own financial gain. Yet when we hear about these people, we tend to tune out their words because their character is wicked. That's why Solomon describes the words that proceed from this wicked person's heart are worthless. So then, how do we actually speak words that are of value? What principle would help us? Well, we have to think about this, is that we have to allow God's word to influence our words. That God's truth needs to shape and form the words that we speak. When I think about the Old Testament, especially the Ten Commandments, I think about God's commands to Israel. And in these Ten Commands, that God gives Israel specific instruction in how their speech is to be formed. I think about how God wants people, Israel, to use their words to ultimately honor him. Because if you think of the Ten Commandments, you think of the command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That the words that proceed from an Israelite's mouth ought to honor God, to speak rightly of his character, and to speak that type of truth. And when he fails to do that, when he defames the name of God, he's to be punished, even with death. And I think about another command. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That we are not to speak wrongly about our neighbor, not only in terms of lying, but do we speak poorly of their character? That God wants us also to use our words to honor people. And while these instructions may have been for Israel, these principles and instructions are applicable for us as well as believers. That as Christians, do we use our words ultimately to honor God and to honor people? And so we need to be able to evaluate the words that we choose to speak. That we need to ask ourselves, are the words that I'm about to speak, do they truly represent a person who's been transformed by a relationship with God? And that the words that we speak for, do they honor the Lord and do they honor other people? That we need to be able to evaluate the words that we're about to speak. Now, what is the purpose and the intent of God's instruction. Think before speaking, because God cares about what you say, that your words matter to God, but for what purpose? 
so that you may be able to help others, that your words will be able to build up to strengthen other people. Solomon teaches that the words ultimately from the wise help, but the words from the foolish fail to help. That the words from the wise person is able to build up, whereas the words from a foolish person tend to tear down and to make trouble. We see this in this last verse in chapter 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This idea of feeding many is this idea of nourishment, that the words from the righteous person will help a person out. This word feed can also be rendered shepherd. And oftentimes the word shepherd is used of a good king in the ancient Near East. A king who's able to defend, who's able to protect, who's able to care and meet the needs of his people. And likewise, the words from a righteous person are supposed to help to defend and to care. And then Solomon says this in the second half of this verse, that fools die for lack of sense, that a foolish person lacks heart, as it says in the Hebrew. And because he lacks heart, the words that he says ultimately are unhelpful to people. Because even though this fool may be hearing all these wise words, he's unable to actually apply them and to be able to speak forth words that truly help, that build up. Instead, his words fail to help other people because they don't realize the context, the time, when to speak, how to speak, what to speak in order to help. They're just focused on themselves. And so that's why the words from a foolish person fails to help other people. And I wonder if the person who put together the book of Proverbs, the editor, when compiling Solomon's lectures from chapter one to nine, put this particular verse in chapter 10 as if to ask the reader, are you gonna be wise and listen to the wise sayings so that your words could help or are you going to be foolish and lack sense and not really internalize what has been taught? Because if so, your words will have no worth. They will fail to help. Now, God expects us to speak the truth to help other people. I know that sometimes speaking the truth can be a little bit painful. It can sometimes sting. But ultimately, the reason why we speak truth to help other people is because we love them that we care about them. And so we ought to be careful in how we speak to them so that when we speak the truth, it reveals that. Now, what is the reason why we speak the truth? We speak the truth because ultimately, we are a covenant community of God. I, Paul writes this in the letter of Ephesians, therefore put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth with one another. Because why? We are one body in Christ, that we are a spiritual community, brothers and sisters in Christ, a spiritual family. And for that reason, we speak truth to help others. But we also speak the truth to help people become like Christ. Because Paul also writes this in the letter of Ephesians, that we speak the truth to help one another to become more like Jesus Christ. That 
words are meant to build up and form and shape people so they become more Christ-like in their conduct. But we recognize that oftentimes when it comes to being like Christ and pursuing a life of godliness, we find ourselves susceptible to sin because of the flesh inside of us. And we find ourselves failing to conform our lives to the character of Christ. And at that time, we need people to speak truth to us so that others may experience the grace of God. That people speak the truth to help people experience God's grace. That's why Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, so that it would not only fit the occasion, but that it would give grace to those who hear. And so we ought to be careful in crafting our words. But we also speak the truth to others, especially non-believers, so that they might be able to know God. That as Christians, we have words that are so infinitely valuable, words of eternal life. To be able to tell people the truth that we, in our sin, are separated from God. And yet, God made a way through Jesus Christ so that we might be able to have a relationship with Him again are words that have immense value, that are an immense help. Because these words of hope, knowing that we have a relationship with God, means that neither death, nor suffering, persecution, illness, will ever separate us from God. And that's the great hope that we're able to speak to help other people. So what should we do? We need to craft our words to help rather than to hurt. That we need to be careful to really consider how do we actually put together our words so the words that we speak are apt and timely and beautiful so that they are not only truthful, but they also help. And I know that some of us say, well, see, I spoke the truth. But sometimes the tone in which you speak it is harsh, and that truth is not heard. It's one thing to say that you never listen to me. You always ignore me when I'm speaking to you, versus saying, I feel hurt when you don't listen to me because I feel uncared for and unloved. That while both communicate truth, both communicate truth in different ways that we need to learn to craft our words to help rather than to hurt people. So what does God want us to do when we prepare to speak? Think before speaking, because your words matter to God, so that you may use your words ultimately to help other people, so that your words may help others. Now, Ben Kingsley may remember the painful words of his parents long ago, but he also remembers a very significant event in his life. In 2002, the Queen of England knighted him, and it's an event that he still thinks about even to this day. He says this in an interview, I told you about my parents and the fact that any kind of embrace was totally absent from my life. So to be embraced by Her Majesty, I felt like stopping people in the street, saying, my mom loves me, you know, because that's what it felt like 
to me the filling of a vacuum in the universe. That when Ben Kingsley was embraced by the Queen of England, he desired to tell people that his mom loved him. His royal mother loved him. Now, many of us may not be embraced by a human king or queen, but for those of us who are believers, those of us who are Christians, we have been embraced by a king. That we who were once paupers have now become heirs of a kingdom. And because we've been embraced by the king, our words, the ones that we speak, should also reflect his love for us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word. Even though it was written long ago, its truth still remains for us that we ought to give pause when we decide to speak. And may you help us to choose words that ultimately are pleasing to you and also helpful for others so that when we speak forth, people would know the love of Christ that resides within us, that we have been embraced by the King. And so we ask that your Spirit would help us in this area of our lives so that our words would be pleasing to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.